speaker this morning is uh, Paul Wright, and uh, Paul comes to us today uh, from Argentina, and we have the privilege to hear what the Lord is doing uh, through him and his work there as we have been supporting him. Uh, his, uh, his wife was not able to be with us this morning, Beth, uh, keep her in your prayers as she is uh, sick, and I know that Paul will look forward to being back with her afterwards today. He has served uh, 40 years in Argentina. The last 26 years have been at Mendoza Evangelical Bible Institute. Before uh, this morning's service started, he told me about just different aspects of ministry, pastoring, and um, getting to be uh, in theological education, and he's going to share with you everything that he's been doing. Um, but anyways, I am uh, very much looking forward to hearing what the Lord has got to say through you, brother, through Isaiah today. So if you would, once more, I'm going to pray for Paul, and then he's going to come up, give a report, and then get into the message for us today. Lord, we pray over our brother Paul, Lord. He has the spirit of the living God within him, and we pray that Holy Spirit, his words would be biblical words because they're your words inspired by you. And so, Lord, speak through the word this morning and therefore through the mouth of our brother so that we would be encouraged, we would know the, the, the realities of the gospel of grace for us and so that we would live as you have called us to live. Lord, let us feel your conviction if needed. Take us from our shortcomings and lead us into the truth. And let your brother, let our brother be the instrument through which you use today. Lord, we love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Paul, would you come? Muy buenos días. Es un deleite para mí estar con ustedes en esta mañana. And for those of you who don't speak the language of heaven, I just said good morning. It's a delight for me to be here with you this morning. You know, every, we just got back to the U.S. A, a few weeks ago, and it always takes me a while to get back into speaking. Every time I switch countries, it's hard to switch back to the language. Anyway, if I fall back into Spanish, forgive me. I'll rewind and start over. Okay? Well, I regret that my wife is not able to join me this week. She fell ill, and so I traveled alone to Huron this, the yesterday afternoon. But like Paul and Barnabas who after their first missionary journey went back to their church in Antioch and gave a report. I want to do that this morning as well. Starting with our family. We have four kids. Three of them live in Omaha. So it's no surprise that when we come back to the States, we go to Omaha. Four kids, uh, three kids in Omaha, four grandkids. That's the drawing factor right there. Our oldest daughter is an ESL teacher in Omaha. She teaches in the Ralston School District, Karen. And then comes Jonathan and Amber. John teaches in a kindergarten. He's a rarity, I must admit. But his hyperactivity ideally fits him for teaching kindergarten. He teaches Spanish in a bilingual uh, primary school for the Omaha Public Schools. Then comes our daughter, Lisa. She lives in Mendoza, Argentina, right across the street from our house. And she has a lovely little boy. He's going to be two in, um, in December. And then comes our youngest son, Benjamin, who um, also lives in, in Omaha. Uh, he's not a teacher, but he married one. And so um, he's a, a, a counselor, a psychologist. 
and they also have a, a, a small little girl. In fact, the two youngest of our grandkids were born 15 days apart, one in Omaha and one in, in Mendoza. When they were born, we weren't sure where to go, but we connected sooner or later. Yes, where is Mendoza? Probably You probably have no clue, but if you look on a South American map, there is a long, thin country called Chile, okay? The capital of, of Chile is Santiago, right in the middle. On the other side of the Andes Mountains, across from, from Santiago, is Mendoza. And we're at the foot of the mountains. Mendoza is the fourth largest city in Argentina, has a very lovely Mediterranean climate. We're surrounded by vineyards and olive orchards and wind, yes. What is Argentina famous for? Well, the Pope is Argentine, but we're also famous for our football. Argentina won the World Cup soccer championship last year. The next championship is going to be held in another three years, so um, we'll give a run for the money at that point in time. But we're also famous for our inflation. I just got an article yesterday. Inflation for the last 12 months has been 133%. Chances are you can't even envision what that means. You walk into a store and you ask, what does it cost? And with a certain amount of fear and trepidation, the, the, the shop owner will say, well, it costs this much. He's hoping he added enough on to allow for the price increase that's going to come on Wednesday because the price is good for today, but on Wednesday it might not be. It might be another 20%. You just never know. A key issue for Argentina right now is, is the inflation. Next Sunday are presidential elections and that's going to decide a whole lot of the future for Argentina. So please, during this week and next Sunday, pray for Argentina. Um, as I mentioned, Mendoza is on the eastern slopes of the Andes and it's a lovely city. We've lived there for the last 27 years and 25 years ago, four pastors, uh, me and, and three others, um, started the Mendoza Evangelical Bible Institute. I direct that institute. I'm also one of the teachers. I change the light bulbs and take out the trash as well. So um, that's what I've been doing. Both God has given both Beth and myself some very strategic ministries. And one of the key issues of the Mendoza Bible Institute is that we're equipping believers for serving the Lord. This last trimester, we had about a little more than 60 students, and we're very grateful for them. Now, when the pandemic hit a couple of years ago, that switched everything. We were doing all of our classes face-to-face, -face, but just a few, six months before the pandemic, we were starting to dabble in online instruction. When the quarantine hit, we transferred all of our courses. We didn't skip a beat. Everything went online. Yeah, the professors complained a little bit, but they soon caught up the pace, so, um, and we were able to keep going. During the pandemic, a number of smaller Bible institutes in Latin America had to close because they had no other option. But we didn't. We carried on, and the Lord has sustained us. Um, one of the big challenges that I have at this point in my life is passing the baton. And the Lord has blessed us since 2019 with a brand new board, and, and they are picking up the baton this last May, we named an academic dean. She's doing a great job. And we also, last July, named an institutional representative who's dealing with donors. One of the big issues that we have is maintaining the ministry financially. And that's a big issue when you've got 133% inflation. How do you do that? How do you, and we've, we've been focusing especially on businessmen 
um, and trying to get them to give toward the ministry, especially since 60% of our operating costs co are covered by donations. It's a challenge. When the economy is falling apart, how do you do that? Well, God is blessed so far, and he'll sustain us in the future. My wife has a very strategic ministry as well. She has a ministry called Corazones Abiertos, which in English means open hearts. It's a ministry to men and women who have suffered abuse. It could be sexual abuse, family violence, even up to satanic ritual abuse. It's all kinds of abuses. But she's ministering to those who have suffered abuse and helping them go forward in their emotional and spiritual healing. It's a very critical ministry. And I invite you, please, to remember Beth in your prayers. In fact, she had discovered that during the pandemic, they also switched over to online, and they are reaching more people online than they were previously doing things face-to-face. -face. In fact, she's leading the ministry all over Latin America, and they have people participating from, from Mexico all the way to Argentina and everywhere in between. It's really quite incredible what God is doing. What can you pray for? You've mentioned that you've been praying for us. Thank you so very much. First of all, pray for Argentina. It's going through a melt, another meltdown. We really don't know what's going to happen in the future, so Argentina does need your prayers. One of the things that I'm really concerned about is that the people of Mendoza catch the vision, especially for supporting the ministry financially. Uh, yeah, it would be easy to send dollars down to Argentina. They'd be appreciated, and they would probably be well spent. But the big issue is that if a theological institution is going to be stable, it's got to have a strong local support. So that's what you can pray for. Um, we can pray for more students. We need more students, and we've got the opportunity to do that, uh, especially with online. The, the possibilities for growth are unlimited. But really what we're really interested in is that people's lives be changed. I'm teaching a course or co-teaching a course at the present time online called... Christian Life 2, it's the second half of the Christian Life course, and the focus is on relationships, and it's focused on healing oneself in order you have to be able to be healthy yourself in order to have healthy relationships. So we're working along that line. We really want people to see people's lives changed. And then, as I said, we're in the process of passing the baton, not only me, but, but my wife as well is also in that process. She's probably farther along and doing far better than that than I am, but I've got a lot more balls that I'm juggling than, uh, than she does at the present time. So anyway, God is blessing, and thank you so very much for your prayers. You know, where we live in Mendoza is, is an earthquake zone. That can be kind of scary when you realize the ground under your feet is starting to shake like this. Sometimes there's some very severe horizontal movement like this, and that'll catch you. But a lot of times when you see the earth doing this, like the waves of the sea, that's really weird. So we've got some interesting anecdotes about earthquakes. But my point is this. On a number of businesses in Mendoza, you see on the, on the parking lot, a sign that says punto de encuentro. It's the encounter point, the point of encounter, so that if you have to run out of a building, you know where the safe place is, and you run to that point to meet up with everybody else who's also running from the damage that the earthquake could provide, and you want to be safe there. We live in a time in a society that's going through some incredible seismic changes. The war in Ukraine, 
The news that we had from Gaza in this last week is horrendous. The economy, the inflation, don't get me started on politics. We don't want to go there this morning. But that also has us all upset, wondering what's going to happen next. Argentina is having presidential elections next week. Here in the U.S., we have presidential elections next year. Everything is kind of in a state of flux, and we don't know quite where the safe ground is. I get it. We have some close friends in Argentina that are moving to Spain this year, or this month. They decided, we've had it with this country, we're leaving. A few months ago, a family came to our church in Mendoza. They'd had it up to here. They're from Texas. They said, we've had it up to here with the U.S. society. Where did they move to? Argentina. I don't get it. But at any rate, when the ground starts moving like this, you don't know where to go to find a safe place. Let me assure you that the safest place you can ever be is in the place where God puts you and doing what God wants you to do. That's the safest place. Where is that encounter point where we can find safety and security? Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 56. Maybe a long time since you've opened your Bibles to the last part of the book of Isaiah. I love Isaiah. Incredibly encouraging. Let's read the first eight verses of Isaiah 56. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. A number of translations, by the way, say this. Keep justice and do what is right. I love it. Keep justice and do what is right. For soon my salvation will come, and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man or woman or child who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the youth... Excuse me, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. For the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. When Isaiah wrote this, he was living in a time of tremendous social upheaval. Just a short time before, the Assyrian, the imperial Assyrian army had come in and attacked the northern kingdom of Israel, carried the entire kingdom, those who survived, to Assyria and other places, dispersing them among the, 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 the empire. They had destroyed half of their country, basically. The same army came in and shut up Hezekiah like a bird in a cage. And Jerusalem was like a house that had, a tornado had flown all the way around it and it was standing there shaking. 
Isaiah knew what seismic changes in society was all about. And at the same time, he had a message for his people that he wanted his people, God's people, to stay on mission. We live in a very similar time, just like Isaiah. Things are happening that cause us to be very concerned, very worried. What's going to happen? We don't know. But God gives us a safe place, a point of encounter where we can be sure that this is what God wants us to do. It's like a GPS. In order to find that point, let's start with point number one. We need three points to go and find that point. Point number one, verse one. Keep, thus says the Lord, this is God's message to us. Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come. The first point is to focus on integrity. When everything is going wrong, when the foundations are being shaken, when we don't know what's up, what's left, what's right, everything is falling apart, everything that we knew made us comfortable and feel at home, everything is falling apart, what do we do? That does not justify doing what is wrong. A lot of times, and I see this relatively often, there's a curve where the highway comes into the south of the city and then turns and goes east. And if a big semi-truck takes that curve too fast, it'll tip over, spilling its contents all over. And then all of a sudden, all the neighbors you never knew were there are all there, and they're ransacking the context, contents of that turned-over semi-truck. It's free for the taking, they think. It's not right. Yeah, the insurance will cover it. It's not right, but they'll do it anyway. Just because everything is falling apart does not justify doing what is wrong. We, as those who trust in God, need to focus on integrity because there's a promise that God gives us here that's very important. The one who does what is right, notice verse 2, is blessed. The person who hangs in there and stays and does what is right is blessed, is favored by God. And he talks about the man who holds it fast. That integrity is like a tight end who catches the pass and holds it like this, running for the goal line. He holds it like something he doesn't want to let out of, his, out of his arm. Or he's like a woman who goes downtown. Now, it might not be this way in Huron, but in Mendoza, all the women carry their purses right here, just like a football, because of all the purse snatching that happens. Yeah. So you got to hold it fast. Integrity is a value that we have to hold fast no matter what happens. And to the person who does that, God will bless. That is to say, God will give that person his favor. God will smile and say, yes, you're my child. I'm going to pile all my blessings on you. 150 years after Isaiah, Daniel and we read this in Daniel chapter 1 in the Old Testament, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not eat of the king's food, but he would rather choose, he was like the original vegan, you know, just vegetables and water. And God blessed him for that. God blessed him and gave him responsible, uh, responsibilities in the government, and God blessed him for that. Now let me say this. If you're committed to integrity, God's going to bless you. But be prepared, there are consequences in an ungodly world. Daniel chapter 3, Daniel's three friends decided, we're not going to do what the king tells us to do. We're not going to bow down before that image of Nebuchadnezzar. 
No matter what you threaten us with, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to do it. So what did he do? He threw them in the fiery furnace, expecting them to be incinerated in just seconds. But there was a fourth man in that furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar looked, and it was like the Son of God. God was with them. God protected them. Now, God does sometimes allow bad things to happen to good people. That's his plan. That's his purpose. But my point is this. If we are committed to doing what is right, God will take care of us and even use those bad things for his glory. That's sometimes difficult to handle, difficult to absorb, but it's very important. Now let me say one other thing about this first, uh, this paragraph that we're looking at. He says in the last part of verse 2, the person who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. All through this paragraph, he mentions the Sabbath. When he talks about the eunuchs, he mentions those who keep the Sabbath. When he mentions the foreigners, he's talking about those who keep the Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath for us is not a legal obligation. It was for the people of Israel. If we look at the Mosaic law, specifically at Exodus chapter 20 and in Exodus chapter 31, we'll discover that it was part of the commitment that God had made with the nation of Israel. Israel was obligated to keep the Sabbath. Now, they were obligated to show up at Jerusalem three times every year. That was a social obligation every uh, male had to do that. But the Sabbath was kind of a personal thing. They didn't go up to Jerusalem for that. They stayed at home. It was kind of a personal thing. And they could violate it if they wanted. Nobody knew except maybe their family, maybe some close friends. And uh, for many of them, they decided not to keep the Sabbath and as a result suffered the consequences. One of those consequences for the nation of Israel of not following God's laws was the Babylonian captivity. But my point is this. Keeping the Sabbath is not an obligation for us as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ in this time period, in this dispensation. It was for Israel. Most of us here, I don't know if there are any Jews present or not, but at any rate, it's not applicable to us at this point. What is applicable is the principle of rest. We need to rest at least one day a week. Well, we don't do that very well, do we? But we need to, to work at it because at that one day a week, we can worship God, we can spend time with our family, and we can, that allows us to recharge our batteries for the rest of the week. Now, most of us work seven, to seven days a week. Many of us, unfortunately. That's probably an area where we need to improve. We are not obligated to keep the Sabbath, but obeying God in the little things does mean God's blessing. There are two groups of people that Isaiah mentions here. And the second thing I want to point out in our GPS, and while he's finding that safe point, the point of encounter, is that we need to not only focus on integrity, we also need to focus on integrating the marginalized. Now, when we read this passage, we notice that, for example, in verses 3 to 5, he mentions a group of people that we probably don't talk about very much, the eunuchs. Who were the eunuchs? Well, these were people, males, who were usually castrated for service in the king's palace, principally the harem. If they were castrated, they weren't a problem for all the king's wives. So those people 
necessary as they might have been at that point in time, felt they were ostracized from the rest of Israel. They had lost their capability of reproduction, of course. They also suffered the prejudice of society. The Jews at that point in time realized that they were God's people. And God had promised to Abraham that his descendants would be like the stars of the heavens. And that's great. So they focused on family. They were, family was really important. Their genealogies were really important. We read the genealogies and that Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Esau and Jacob, etc., etc., etc. Family is really important. Coming from a good family was really important. And having a family was really important. But what do you do with the eunuchs? They felt ostracized. In fact, in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, it reads that someone who is a eunuch could not even worship with the rest of God's people. They were kicked out. But they loved God. Just because something had happened to them to change the rest of their lives permanently. But we want to worship God too. The promise of God for those who had been ostracized, and in this case the eunuchs, was the promise that God was including them. They had come to the wrong conclusion. In verse, verse 3, or verse, yes, verse 3, let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. We've all seen trees that have dried up. On my way up here from Omaha yesterday, I saw a very unusual thing. Driving on the freeway on I-29, I saw a tree that was red. It turned, leaves had turned red on the left side. It was halfway there. Now, a dry tree, what do you do with a dry tree? You can't use it for anything. You can't get food off. You can't get leaves. You can't even get shade. What do you do with a dry tree? And the eunuchs considered themselves dry trees. We're no good for anything. We're permanently damaged. So the second point I want to bring out here is that we need to focus on those who have been marginalized. Those who have been set apart, those who have been ostracized by society and cannot see them integrating in the rest of God's people. They don't fit the norm. They don't match expectations. They're misfits. Who might these people be here in Huron, South Dakota? Maybe they're people who have suffered abuse. Maybe they're people who have been in addiction, alcoholism. Maybe they're people from other countries that have immigrated here. They don't fit into American society. The point is, God promises to those people who want to meet, to meet God, who want to serve God, who love God, God gives them a special promise. He said, you're going to be part of my house. You're included. In verse 4, it says this, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. This is better than having a star and the sidewalk on Hollywood Avenue. God tells the marginalized, I'm going to include you. This is a chance for grace to intervene. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, where, grace, where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. And that is the message that we need to communicate to those who have been marginalized by society. 
we've got some tremendous opportunities. I understand from my conversations with you folks before that Huron is a very unusual city in the fact that it has several different um, nationalities, shall we say, not just whites, but also Hispanics and Korean. That's an incredible opportunity. You have an incredible opportunity to minister to those who have come to this country to live. I don't know what your feelings are on immigration or the southern border, but nevertheless, God is giving you an incredible opportunity to be missionaries. To send a missionary elsewhere takes an incredible amount of money. But God's given you the opportunity to have a cross-cultural ministry right here. Take advantage of it. It's part of God's GPS. Focus on the marginalized. The third thing I want to point out this morning comes from verses 6 to 8. And here he doesn't talk to the marginalized, to the eunuchs. Here he's talking to the people <clears throat> who are foreigners. This focus is on an international ministry. He says to the foreigners, verse 6, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, to everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. This group of people can enjoy God's welcome. It's not normal, but God's focus has always been on an international international basis. You know how easy it is we get together for a prayer meeting and we say, you know, God bless me, bless my family, bless my church, bless us and ours. And there we stop. What about all those people elsewhere? Are we praying for the people who are dying in Gaza? Are we praying for the Ukrainians? By the way, let me mention that I have some colleagues who are missionaries in the Ukraine, were missionaries, they're now retiring, but the Ukraine of all the ex-Soviet republics has been had the best response to the gospel, and this war has spread Ukrainian Christians all over Europe preaching the gospel. There's a good side to the war. We don't like it, we pray that the Lord war will end soon, but God is using even that terrible circumstance for his glory and giving all of Europe opportunity to hear the gospel. That's incredible. God says that those who are foreigners, I'm going to allow them to enjoy my welcome. Notice verse 4. This has always been God's purpose. Excuse me, verse 7. This has always been God's purpose. He says in the last part of verse 7, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The gospel is just not, just, it's not limited to just us and ours. It's just not limited to those who are white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestants. It's for all peoples. This foresees something that, that John wrote about in the book of Revelation. Around the throne of God, worshiping the Lamb, there would be people from all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues. God is always focusing on what is happening all over the world, and so should we. Our world is going through some tremendous changes. 
We don't feel comfortable with them. We don't like what is happening. But in the meantime, we need to stay focused. We need to stay on mission. Three points. Focus on integrity, on integrating the marginalized, the ones who don't fit, and keeping an international focus on what God is doing. When we do those three things, we'll stay on target. God will use us mightily to change the world, and that's what he's after. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Bethesda Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can find us online by visiting our website at www.bethesdahuron.com or you can find us on Facebook and YouTube at Bethesda Huron.